0: Hello and welcome to the Power and the Key podcast, I'm your host Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cadd, how are you Caddy? Evening Winnow, good to be back for
1: another week to uh, yeah cover what's been a pretty interesting week in the NBA as we get closer and closer to the climax of the regular season.
0: It certainly has been an interesting week mate, since we last spoke and there's unfortunately been some, some injuries and some retirements and stuff so, so we'll jump into, we'll start with the negative side of things as we're very negative people Caddy so <laughs> why not start with that. So a couple of days after we last spoke, we saw Jamal Murray go down with what uh, was diagnosed as a torn ACL, which will obviously knock him out for the remainder of the season. So Denver are now fourth in the West with a 36-20 and 20 we- uh, record. They're actually 9-2 and two since that Aaron Gordon trade, and I think – Everybody universally had, had probably believed, and I certainly subscribe to this theory, that since that Aaron Gordon trade, they'd really elevated them, themselves. We still both of us believe that uh, the Lakers, once they're fully healthy, were probably a cut above the rest of the West. But for me, Denver had really pushed themselves maybe even into that number two seed um, if we're talking about teams that could that could win the championship because I, ju- I just felt the, adi- the addition of Aaron Gordon – his ability to defend some of these these wings, you know, the LeBrons, the Kawhi Lennons, you know, Paul George, these these sort of guys that they're going to have to go up against if they're going to get through the West. The addition of Aaron Gordon had been massive, um, and as a record would suggest, 9-2 and two since our Aaron Gordon trade. But this injury to Jamal Murray is devastating. He, he obviously had a little bit of a start, a slow start to the season, which we did speak about uh, quite a while ago now. But basically the last couple of months he'd been able to replicate Almost the numbers he'd put up in the bubble, and everyone knows how good he'd been during that bubble. So th- this injury for you, Caddy, did this basically wipe Denver out of the uh, championship contention, or do you think that they are still some small chance?
1: No, I think that's the end of them for this year, to be honest. We know, uh, it's just hard to see them being able to bring in the, the type of uh, offensive input in particular that Jamal Murray brings on, on a nightly basis, and also you know when things um, elevate into the playoffs and rotations get shorter. Um, to lose a guy of that quality for a team like Denver, I think's almost irreplaceable. I mean, we're going to have to really rely on Michael Porter Jr. continuing to step up, and he and he has improved his play over the last couple of months. Um, we need. Will Barton almost become a 20 point a game scorer consistently. And we know he's capable of doing it sort of one in every three or four games. But he would almost have to come out and do it on a nightly basis. And I just think, um, yeah, for Denver this year, it's it's almost, you know, game over for them. Unfortunately, they're getting an MVP caliber season out of Nikola Jokic. And, and that'll take him, you know, so far, I'm sure. But when the whips are really cracking in the second round of the playoffs in particular, I just think, you know, you, you just can't cover for an injury like that. And I'd I'd say the same thing if it had happened to the Lakers or if it happened to the Clippers or if it happened to the Utah Jazz. You you lose your second-best player, Um, any of those teams, is going to make it mightily difficult to, you know, really progress all the way through, in in my opinion. So it's a devastating blow, and it's not only, obviously, for this year, you know, tearing your, um, your ACL, basically, at this time of the year, almost wipes him out for the entirety of next season as well, which is just, you know, so sad obviously on the personal level for for Murray, but for all Denver fans out there, you know, it's really hard for them now to to kind of cover that because they're pretty much at the the top of the salary cap again for next year. The end of 21, 22 is going to be so significant for Denver as it was. They had Aaron Gordon coming up out of contract. They have the Michael Porter Jr. extension coming up at the end of next season. So um, the Denver front office aren't going to get that opportunity to really evaluate. What that team was going to look like with Jokic, Murray, Gordon, and Porter Jr. all playing a whole season together. So, unfortunately, for them, we're going to have to make some decisions on the fly and just hope that Jamal Murray can come back, you know, and at least be, you know, 90% of the player that he was. But it's hard to see that even happening um, at any stage in next season. So, really, debilitating injury for Denver. And I think it's really uh, ruined their chances this season.
0: Yeah, I I agree. It, it's it is a devastating blow, and, and and you nailed it right there. The fact that it obviously what we believe anyway knocks them out of championship contention, not only this year but next year as well. Look, what a blow that is to to basically have two year, two prime years of Nikola Jokic go out the door through an injury like this. So I agree. I think it does knock them out of championship contention. Monte Morris has been the guy that stepped into the starting lineup. Uh, they're going to have to rely a lot more on Campazzo, who's an excellent passer. We know that. And PJ Dozier, who's really up and down. So you're going to rely on some guys who you're not quite sure what they're going to bring to the table. But let's try and – play devil's advocate, and try and find a way that maybe they can stay in contention. So you mentioned the fact that Will Barton needs to lift his scoring output. Now, he's capable, I think, of averaging 20 points a game for the remainder of the season. During the playoffs might be a different story when, when the defense does clamp down. The other one, and we've already spoken about how much he's brought to the table uh, defensively since he's joined the team, but Aaron Gordon's only averaging 11.5 points a game since he's come to the to the, to the team. He's shooting 50 57% from the field. Him and Jokic have uh, worked out a really good connection. He, he's found him on a number of back to uh passes, I think it was only in about game six or seven that uh, Aaron Gordon played with Jokic so that he'd already assisted Gordon more times than anyone from Denver had on, on the whole season, anyone from Orlando had, sorry, on the whole season. So th- they've worked uh, at a real good connection there, as I said. Could you see maybe Aaron Gordon stepping up to the plate and lifting his scoring average? We, we've seen him during his career that he's been able to push up to the, the 16 or 17 a game, maybe not as efficiently as you'd hope, but maybe with uh, Jokic helping me mean, he could lift his efficiency Barton uh, does lift his scoring as well Porter Jr. we believe is probably more than capable of lifting his scoring if he's given a few more shots do you think maybe if all these guys did play at their absolute maximum that they could be a sneaky chance even or do you just think that they're totally done
1: no, I think they're done. Like and yet the names you've brought up, yeah, absolutely. On any given night, they there's certainly a capability that they can rise, you know, to that challenge. Particularly Gordon, you know, his offensive output at the moment. There's a lot more upside, I'm sure, to what they that what his usage is currently since he's been in Denver. But looking at the stands, even as they currently are, like Denver are in the four seed, the LA Lakers are in the five seed. If that stays, there's. I just don't see any any way that they're going to be able to roll the Lakers in the first round. So, J- Jamal Murray showed how important he was in last year's playoffs. Um, you know, some really monster games throughout that, and that, that's what Denver need. You know, they Jokic can do so much, and he'll put up big numbers, I'm sure. You know, probably monster numbers really uh, through the playoffs. But I just don't think it's going to be enough, and, and I almost see them now as a first round out in the playoffs. If particularly, you know, they finish in the you know, just say so they do drop below LA, then. That's potentially even worse because they'll then, you know, have lose home court as well. Uh they still have a four and a half game cushion or sorry, a three and a half game cushion over Portland in the sixth seed. So, you know, I, I still think they're gonna win enough games down the stretch here to to not really offset their playoff ranking so far, uh, down from the four or five seed. So I think, you know, they're gonna be locked into a, a series that's gonna be really, really difficult. And um, you know, I, I almost see them as a first round exit now.
0: Yeah, that, that could be the case, and as as we've said, that'd be so disappointing, given how promising they had looked since the Aaron Gordon trade. The other interesting aspect of this is if they do, we look at the the standings. There, they're thirty six and twenty. The Lakers are just behind them at thirty five and twenty two. Now, now the news came out during the week that Anthony Davis was probably maybe going to take the court next week. Um, they have said that his 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 minutes would be restricted early on, which you'd expect, and you'd expect he's going to take a bit of time to round into form, given how long he has been out. But let's say in theory that the Lakers jump over Denver and Denver finish fifth in the standings. Does this take a hit to Nikola Jokic's MVP case at all? I mean, traditionally you have to finish at least in the top four. Certainly the the top two would, would seal it for him. But in the top four has generally been the cutoff point, apart from what we saw uh, with Russell Westbrook a couple of seasons ago when he was the f- first guy to average a triple-double for so long. There, there was a straw poll taken uh, through the week, from, uh, I think it was Tim Bontemps from ESPN, he does this every year and he polls 101 people, I think that's the same amount that, that vote on the MVP and, and he he polls some of the guys that are going to vote and Nikola Jokic got 90% of first place votes. So at the moment, he, he's a clear-cut leader, but do you think that, we've got 16 games to go, if he drops below the fourth seed, do you think his MVP case could actually take a hit here?
1: Um, oh, look, possibly only if people are looking at those standings. I mean, you'd like, you're would you probably going to think his individual numbers are going to increase over these uh, last um, stretch of the season. So I think from a, you know, when they get down to looking at stats and looking at points per game and PER and all these type of things, then Jokic's numbers, I think, will probably actually improve. So, you know, I think as long as they don't lose 10 of the next 16 or something like that and really fall... Right down and, and can't compete. I think Jokic is still going to be the prohibitive favourite, unless you know Steph Curry continues doing what he's doing, uh, what he's done through April so far, and does that for another month and a half. Then you know he might have a, a claim. You know, all been on a team that's even further down the the ranking. But I'd still have uh, Jokic as a clear favourite, and I think his numbers will
0: increase down the stretch here, and it'll probably actually help his case in, in the end. Yeah, you're right, it could if his numbers actually increase. And, and even if they do drop to the fifth seat, I agree, I'll, I would still be voting for him. It was actually a very heated uh, discussion on, on the uh, Brian Windhorse podcast uh, over the weekend. I don't know if you heard that one, Caddy, but if you haven't ever have listened to that, they got very fired up as Windhorse was adamant that uh, jo- Joel Embiid should be the MVP, and uh, his two guests, Bontemps and uh, Tim McMahon, were, were voting uh, strongly for Jokic. So the other thing we probably need to just touch on quickly is, there's been a lot of complaints. We, we've seen so many stars be out injured this year. And the NBA were in a really difficult uh, situation in the offseason. It was a shortened offseason. They wanted to get the, the season going as early as possible. A lot of the players were hoping for the season not to start till January. We saw it start uh, in December, I think it was. So it was a very shortened offseason. And the games have certainly been more crunched together, uh, even though it's only a 72-game regular season as opposed to the to normal 82 a game regular season. So, Denver were playing their fifth game in seven nights. Uh, Murray had recently actually missed a couple of games with a an injury to his other knee, so maybe, we'll never know, but maybe he was compensating and he ended up hurting uh, his other supposedly good knee. Uh, if you do look at the, the game... so. The teams this year averaging uh, 3.6 games per week, which was up from 3.42 games per week. So not a huge increase. But since the All-Star break, it's gone up to 3.75 games per week. So we've seen a lot of these uh, instances where teams are playing five and seven nights or three and four nights or whatever it may be. Do you think the NBA have maybe created a bit of a Difficult situation this year. As, as I said, I understand they're in a difficult situation because the TV industry brings in so much money. But do you think maybe that they've uh, they've made the wrong call this year, squeezing so many games together and, and starting the season a bit earlier than they should have?
1: Yeah, look, they're on a hiding to nothing all the way through, really. I mean, they had to get the game started because, um, because of the money involved. And as much as I'm sure the players would have liked a, a longer break, the, the reality is that if they didn't start when they did, the, the schedule would have been um, even shorter and the, the money that they were going to be due to make obviously would have decreased as a result. So really, they they didn't really have a uh, much of a choice in them I mean, both the uh, NBA front office and the players in the end because, you know, the money talks and the bullshit walks and as much as they, you know, I'm sure w- would have preferred a much longer off-season and then, you know, have the game spaced out through this year, it just wasn't going to be able to happen if they wanted to start afresh for a 2020 2020- season at the you know basically at the end of October so look unfortunately that's the way it is and the amount of missed games that we saw in the first half of the season in particular with health and safety protocols and and COVID outbreaks it's only made the the schedule even more intense down here in the run home so you know teams are just going to have to be ultra cautious I think with their players you know the the ability now that at least there's a playing tournament it gives teams all the way to the 10th seed an opportunity to play you know that that might Leave teams at least going okay. Well, we do have a bit of a safety net there if things get really tight down the end. So yeah, I think the responsibility probably does um, shift back to the actual NBA teams to to sort of manage their manage their players. But you know, I think the amount of wear and tear injuries we're seeing, particularly um, soft tissue and ligaments, um, yeah, I'd, I'd suggest would all point to the fact that they're they're playing too many games in too many nights, and um, yeah, it was almost bound to happen.
0: Yeah, and we, we certainly are seeing a lot of teams now resting. A lot of their guys, um, my fantasy team has taken a big hit this week with with guys just resting, not playing back-to-backs and these sort of things. So, yeah, it's obviously teams are looking at this and, and thinking it's best long-term that they give their players uh, some rest and, and don't overload them uh, leading into the playoffs. So... One of the other bad news stories we saw this week was uh, Lamarcus Aldridge had to retire from the NBA with an irregular heartbeat. Now this is something I believe that he'd been dealing with uh, throughout his career. Uh, in the last game he played, apparently he could feel it. So I've got no idea, obviously what what you can feel if you're getting an irregular heartbeat. It was obviously something that he thought was pretty serious, and he had the tests and subsequently he's decided that he to retire from the NBA effective immediately. So. As we know, he'd obviously just joined the Brooklyn Nets. He'd played the five games and he'd started all those games at centre for them. He'd been pretty good for them too, averaging 12.8 points a game, 4.8 rebounds, 2.6 assists, 2.2 blocks was obviously very impressive and 52% from the field. So uh, Brooklyn have have obviously added a lot of guys recently. they got Blake Griffin on board. So this loss for them, Kenny, do you think this dents their their chances at the championship or do you think they've got enough coverage, whether it be through... Uh, Blake Griffin, uh, Claxton, who, who's been very good for them, especially defensively. DeAndre Jordan had basically been out of the rotation. He can obviously come in now and take some of these minutes that Aldridge uh, was getting. He was getting 26 minutes a game, so he was getting a reasonable amount of minutes. Do, do you think this is a big hit for them, or do you just think they've got so much coverage, it's probably not going to matter all that much?
1: No, I think it's just a blip on the radar for the Brooklyn Nets, to be honest. Uh, it was an absolute luxury you know, that they were able to add a guy of his quality uh, to come in. Um, you know, when when it did happen, we you know it was, we almost were disappointed in the fact that he'd chosen Brooklyn because it, it felt like it was shifting the competitive advantage too far in their direction. But look, I think they've got enough in the big man department to to fill that fill those minutes. As you said, Jordan was basically out of the rotation. You know, and he was playing servicefully, um at the start of the season. I really liked the way Claxton was playing, and and I sort of um, dismayed at the fact you know this. Aldridge signing, Griffin signing would have almost diminished his role and it was a good opportunity um, while they did have such star power in the team to kind of balance the future as well and try and develop another player like Claxton in the meantime. So hopefully he can get some more opportunity and, you know, it does open the door for Blake Griffin as well to to play a more significant role. So, look, Brooklyn's, you know, they've been unbelievably successful really this season with the amount of um, disruption they've had. Uh, to their roster with Durant, obviously missing so many, so many games. Irving being in and out of the lineup, and obviously James Harden currently out of the lineup, and they're not trying to integrate, you know, these buyout guys like Blake Griffin and Lamarcus Aldridge in. So, look, I don't think it's going to affect Brooklyn too much, you know, in their championship
0: quest this season. I think it was more of a luxury that they were able to add in when they did. Yeah, I agree. I think they've they've got more than enough coverage at the center position with with those guys that that I mentioned earlier. So the thing you see when guys retire, and especially guys of Aldridge's calibre, is straight away people start talking, it should, be, should he be a Hall of Famer? So I'll just run through Aldridge's accolades. So he played 15 seasons, his career averages are 19.4 points a game, 8.2 rebounds, 2 assists and a block and shot 49% from the field. Uh, he, was, he was a seven-time All-Star in the West, which is, which is obviously a very good achievement given that some of the guys he had, uh, he was competing with for those, those spots on a forward roster for the West. He's a five-time All-NBA player. Uh, he made the second team twice and the third team three times. He finished top 10 in MVP three times. Um, interestingly, the stat that came out after he retired was only 20 other players have recorded as many points and rebounds as him, and all of those guys are subsequently in the Hall of Fame. Basketball reference, if you go to the, the bottom of their page, have have a Hall of Fame probability for every player. They have LaMarcus Aldridge at 50.9, so basically a real borderline case. For you, Caddy, do you think he should be an MVP, uh, sorry, a, a Hall of Famer, or is he just one of those guys that was obviously a very, very good player but probably wasn't didn't have the highs that you'd expect someone to have to get in the Hall of Fame?
1: I think his career's been, been outstanding, and you, you run through some of the accolades, then it's no mean feat to be, be a seven-time All-Star and you know make that many All-NBA teams as well so look I, I, I agree you know that probability is probably what where people are thinking is almost a 50-50 chance really um to make it based on on those numbers it was a shame you know he was only 49 points short I think it was in the end to to shoot the 20,000 career uh, or have this 20,000 career points which would have been you know a really really fantastic effort you know I think for the most part he, he played in successful teams he sort of re, helped rebuild the Portland organization uh, when he came in obviously he was there with Brandon Roy at the time and then sort of p- the baton was passed to Aldridge and then on to Damian Little um, and then he was obviously moved into the San Antonio more of a, as a veteran when he signed there as a free agent sort of to, to help transition those post-Tim Duncan years so I think he's been been a successful player he's been a winning player uh, for the most part with his career so I think hopefully that you know takes some weight into it all. Like I think you know the, the the guy that got in the most recently, um, that had the most question marks probably about his eligibility was uh, Mitch Richmond. I would have thought over the entirety of a career, Lamarcus Aldridge has probably had a a better career than the Mitch Richmond based on numbers. So you know if it was good enough for Richmond to get in, then I think Aldridge would probably would feel like he he's done enough to make it. Um, I think I saw something that it was uh, just the twenty five plays in in NBA history at eight thousand rebounds and nineteen thousand points, and it was just. Antoine Jameson and Terry Cummings that weren't in the Hall of Fame from that list. So, um, you know, it'd be pretty stiff to miss out based on that. But, yeah, I think, you know, he is right on the precipice and it'll be an interesting debate, I think, over many years because I don't think he obviously will go in straight away. So I think we'll be having this conversation uh, for, for quite a few years to come.
0: Yeah, it might be one of those players that gets nominated four or five times. We've seen some guys do that and then they they either make it or they don't make it. And then they, I think they just probably just end it, stop getting nominated if, if they've been nominated a number of times and, and don't end up making it. I think... He's, he's, he's a really hard one. As you mentioned, Mitch, Mitch Richmond, everyone goes to him as a, you know, if Mitch Richmond's in, this guy should be in. But, you know, he had some really big highs, especially in some players. We remember that first-round series against Portland back in, in 2014 where he, he shot the first two games. He, he had 89 points on 35 for 59 from the field. That that was the series where Dame had his first walk-off shot to end the series. So he put up some big numbers. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, seven time All Star. You know, he was competing with guys being in the West, like Dirk and Duncan and Blake and Kevin Durant and these sort of guys. So it was, it's not like in the East where we saw Joe John- Joe Johnson make a you know new. I don't know what he ended up making, but he made at least seven All Stars, and some of those, if he'd been in the West, he certainly would have made. So he was in the he was in the tougher conference for me, obviously, and and to to have those accolades, I think he probably just just does go in there. Do, do you think, uh, Caddy, that th- those sort of those highs that he had in the playoffs there are enough to push him in? Yeah,
1: look, it definitely helps because you know we talk about you know the of people's careers, how you know how important they were in any playoff run. I think you know he's he's shown his worth in in a number of playoff series, as, as we said, Portland for many years were, and still are to an extent, just been shy of the of the really strong teams, and then joined when he did join San Antonio was on the back of you know, a hugely successful era for them. And, you know, his role was almost to kind of bridge that rebuild, which I think, you know, he he did a reasonable job of that. I think he often gets overlooked because he has, I hate to say that, but probably a boring type of style of game. It was um, a bit more old-fashioned the way he played. But, you know, certainly a great shooter from the elbow. He could hit it, get it on the inside. Post-play was really strong. And and as he matured and got older, you know, he was able to stretch his shooting out um, further as well. So, um, look, I, I really enjoyed... Watching his career all the way through it, I think as I said when he came into Portland, it was a rebuilding group at that time, and you know he had a big, big part to play in making them, you know, a really successful franchise over the last fifteen years or so.
0: He was very unlucky, wasn't he? Because he was at Portland, and he had Oden and Brandon Roy, and both of those guys were seen to be stars, but they were just just hit with injury bugs. So he never got to really fully play with the, the best. Well, he played with the best version of Brandon Roy, certainly, but on, only for a, a short uh, period of time. And then he went to San Antonio. and uh, Did he play a season with Kawhi? If he did, it might have only been one. So he, he was just a little bit unlucky not to to have, you know, full usage of the, of the stars that he had there. And then, obviously, this year he's gone to Brooklyn and it looked like he was finally going to get his chance to to get that ring. And then for this to happen is, you know, he's devastating in a basketball sense. But, obviously, I'm sure he's very grateful that he was able to catch this and, and make sure that it didn't impact impact his life too much. So
1: Yeah, I think people seem to be a bit more conscious of it as well. I think Chris Bosh was obviously the really high-profile player that his career was cut short because of a regular heartbeat. And I think it, it obviously has... Put more players on notice, and you know they're a lot more conscious of it. You know, not not unlike concussion in the NFL and the AFL that we're seeing more um, people thinking about it and being proactive when when something comes up. So you know, credit to him to acknowledge it and you know put his future and family and uh, the next fifty years of his life in front of the, this championship chase that he was about to embark on.
0: Yeah, no doubt. We say it was it was a tough decision, but it probably wasn't in the end. Obviously, quality of life is much more important than chasing a title. So. One of the other guys who's expected to miss quite a bit of time is Zach Levine from your Chicago Bulls cat. He's expected to be out 10 to 14 days due to the health and safety protocols. So Chicago had been on a five-game losing streak until they beat Cleveland today, which you would hope that if you're going to push for that that playing tournament that you can beat a team of Cleveland's calibre. So they're now 23-33, and 33, which is 11th in the East, them, Washington, and Toronto are really tightly congested for, for that last spot in the play-in tournament. So since Vucevic has came uh, to Chicago with that big trade where they gave up Wendell Carter Jr., the 2021 first-round pick and the 2023 first-round pick, they've played 13 games and now 4-9. and nine. How, how do you think they're going to go in these next 10 to 14 days without Levine, Caddy? Do you think this will basically wipe them out of this play-in tournament or do you think they've still got enough players there? Obviously, Vucevic... Um, who's been pretty good? Indiv- uh, his individual numbers have been pretty good, um, despite the fact that the team success hasn't been there. Do you think they've got enough coverage to cover their leading scorer for the next ten to fourteen days, or do you think their playoff chances are going to take a real big hit here?
1: Oh, look, they've put themselves in a really, really difficult spot. You know, ever since that trade, where you know we, we, we spoke pretty glowingly of the um, of the move and bringing Vucevic in there next to Levine, but the, it just hasn't sort of been able to be a really quick and fast transition in terms of translating to any winning basketball. So they put themselves in a real hole. um, And the elephant in the room is the fact that they don't really own their first-round pick. It's top four protected in this year's draft. And if they were to miss the play in and, you know, finish, you know, with the seventh pick in the draft as an example, that pick goes to Orlando and they've basically got, you know, nothing out of the season altogether. So, you know, it's really important that they can kind of stick fat here and and try and dig in and, and, you know, stay, you know, really in that 10 seed and and finishing that plane. But as you said, you know, they, they've sort of made it, made it really difficult now with the Toronto Raptors starting to win some games and Washington as well. So it's going to be fascinating. Look, I think there's enough on the roster offensively to, not to cover Levine because he was obviously scoring almost 30 points a game, but, you know, we'd almost seen Laurie Markkinen buried onto the bench previously, previous to today's game where, you know, he did come come on for 26 minutes and, and score the 16 points. But prior to that, he was in the single digits in scoring. You know, his confidence looked shot. And Kobe Watt was another guy that had moved to the bench as well and, and minutes were diminished and so were the scoring numbers. He was able to put up a 27-point game against the Grizzlies a, a day or so ago. So, you know, there's some guys there that have got some upside on the offensive end, you know, they're going to need more out of Thaddeus Young and they're going to need Patrick Williams to score some more and Vucevic to really lead the way. But, you know, if they can basically hold fat uh, or stick fat in that, basically even with Washington and, and stay ahead of Toronto while beans out, you know, well, there's some chance of still making it. But, you know, I think it's a, a really risky time of the season for the Bulls. And if they do, do slip out, then it's not going to look that favourably for this trade. Unless they can somehow luck their way into the top four of the lottery and they can keep their pick, but um, that would be quite a long shot with a a bevy of really ordinary teams below them. So, you know, I know we spoke at length about the Bulls a couple of times here, so we won't go on too much about them. But, yeah, I think they're perilously placed and they really need to you know, show some resolve here over the next week or so while Levine's out and and try and ensure that they are still a chance for that play-in because it's a, a really wasted season otherwise.
0: Yeah, you wouldn't want to be banking on the fact that 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 pick falls in the top four there. I won't let you off the hook that early. You said we've spoken about the Bulls a bit, which we have, but has it been a surprise to you that they have struggled this much? Look, uh, Levine had been pretty good since Vucevic come across. Vucevic's numbers, as I said, 22.6 a game, uh, 10.2 rebounds, three and a half assists, uh, 49% from the field, 45% from three, and 85% from the free throw line. So his, his efficiency, his shooting numbers are all up. He's... His scoring numbers and rebounding are slightly down, but he's not getting as many opportunities. Has it been a bit of a surprise for you that they have struggled to integrate Vucevic? It's probably more these secondary players around the two stars that haven't quite moulded because we were both pretty bullish, pardon the pun, that, that this uh, trade would probably elevate Chicago up and make sure that they definitely did finish in that play-in tournament at, at the very least. Has it been a surprise for you, Caddy, that they have struggled a bit to to integrate Vucevic?
1: Yeah, it has. Um, look, I suppose the, the one thing you'd say is, you know, really ever since the trade, they the Bulls have spent a lot of time on the road. Like, they had a, a quite a lengthy Western uh, swing where they played at San Antonio, Golden State, Phoenix, Utah, all for losses at the start – well, the end of March, start of April – and then they've just gone on another six game road trip as well. so they they've been on the road a lot. I don't know if that's all that helpful, but yeah, I, I've been surprised with the amount of losses and, and the runs of losses that they've had. So you know they had a six game losing streak through the end of March into the start of April. They' just you broken a five game losing streak. and you know if you if you're fed income, you know you're not losing big runs of games like that and two, you know, high-caliber players, it has been a surprise um, that they haven't been able to, as a team, collectively be able to make it work. And, you know, I look at a guy like Laurie Markkinen who, you know, the Bulls have invested so much into and to see him sort of languishing on the bench now and he was playing, you know, minutes just in the teens for a fair stretch of the last eight to ten games. Him coming up as a restricted free agency is going to make that decision, you know, a hell of a lot harder and whether or not they're, his own price is going to be driven down as a result of it. You know, Kobe White's another guy that hasn't progressed, I'm sure, as they would have liked to as a primary ball handler. You know, Thaddeus Young's been the veteran on the team that's been fairly sol- um, solid and serviceable. Santaranski's in and out of the starting lineup. He probably doesn't know if he's coming or going. Uh, Daniel Teese has, has come in. He's, he's been pretty good. I think they like the way he's, he plays and the energy he brings, particularly at the defensive end. Yeah, so look, it, it just hasn't worked out uh, so far, but, you know, I'm sure... You know they're they're not putting all the eggs just into this season, and you know they would have hope that you know with Levine and Vucevic on the books again for a couple of years uh, going forward, that they can you know really can continue to develop a Patrick Williams, and whether it is a Kobe Wilder or a Markenden that can that can, that one of them can turn into a really uh, serious player, then you know hopefully the future's not a loss for them. But they they have given up some. Really high level future assets in this deal. You know, we've even seen Wendell Carter playing better, better basketball at Orlando than what he had really at any stage for Chicago. So that's another concerning sign out of the trade, along with these first round picks, of, of which one could be out the door as soon as um as soon as this
0: draft. That, that would be disastrous if they gave up, you know, somewhere between pick five to eight, um, and ended up missing the playing tournament. But for for Chicago's sake, and for your sake, obviously too, Katie, I, I hope that this sort of works out for him. The, the, those names that you rattled off there, the, the, there's some guys there that can play some good quality basketball, so they should have enough coverage for this time that Levine's out, obviously despite the fact that he's their leading scorer. So I, I like that they were aggressive at the trade deadline and didn't sit on their hands and say, oh, no, we'll wait for Williams to develop, we'll do this, we'll do that. That they put their neck on the line, and, and it would be really disappointing to see that blow up in their face. So for their sake, I do hope that it does uh, come around for them. The other last injury that we'll speak about that we saw happen only a couple of days ago was the injury to Donovan Mitchell. Uh, so he went out with an ankle injury. The MRI came back negative. He was diagnosed with just an ankle sprain. Uh, it was announced, I think, earlier this morning that he'll be re-evaluated in a week. So he's obviously going to miss this week. They're going to re-evaluate it re-evaluate him in another week. So you would reckon he'd probably miss, let's say he misses another week after that, and, and it ends up sort of stretching out to, to six games. Now, he'd been outstanding for them since the All-Star break. He was averaging just a tick under 30 points a game since that All-Star break, and we know how good they've been. They're sitting on top of the West. So if, if we just sort of glance down at their their uh, schedule for the next six games, they had a, a loss in overtime today to the Lakers, who were obviously – undermanned at the moment, so that's a bit of a poor loss. So they've got the Lakers again away, then they've got Houston away, Minnesota at home now. We know how outstanding their home record is. They did have a loss uh, recently at home to to the Wizards, which snapped a, a, about a 22-game uh, winning streak at home from memory. Uh, so they've got Minnesota at home, Minnesota away, Sacramento away, and Phoenix away. So you look at that schedule there, there's some games there that you'd expect that they should be able to take care of. Obviously, Houston, the two Minnesota games, and Sacramento uh, are are teams that they should be able to take care of, despite the fact that Mitchell is out. The Lakers, given that they just lost to them in overtime, is obviously a bit dicey, and the same with the Phoenix Suns. So when you look at the standings, they're 42-15, and Phoenix are 40-16, and so they've got that one-and-a-half game buffer there. Do you think over these next six games? Now we don't know how long he's going to be out. We'll just say it's six. It could be shorter. It could be longer. If it's six games, do you think that that schedule there is light enough for them to hold on to the hold on to that number one seed, or do you think they are in danger of slipping down to that number two seed? And, and as I said, they're given how strong their their home record is, they would obviously love to have that the home uh, court advantage right through the playoffs. Do you think there any chance of losing that number one seed due to this injury, Caddy?
1: Uh, look, uh, hopefully not. I think they've you know played well enough all year to to you know really be able to say that they've been the best team or well, the best regular season team for the season. Um, oh, look, I think firstly that the Utah Jazz will be breathing a, a massive sigh of relief that the injury is only a six game absence or or whatever it is, even if it's a you know a three or four week absence, that it wasn't anything more serious. Because I think when it first uh, happened, there was um, obviously great concern that it was a, a serious injury and it you know basically come right on. The back of the Jamal Murray injury, and you know the last thing we want to see is you know these star players go down, and you know in a sport like basketball, with only you know five players on the court at any one time, you're losing you know any of your star players, it just basically kills kills your whole season. Everything you may have spent years kind of building towards, as we've seen with Denver. So, look, I think the Utah Jazz would have been relieved that it wasn't anything more serious. Today was an ideal for them. They they sat um, Rudy Gobert. As well today, um, along with Mike Conley and Derek Favors, and they were still able to take the Lakers, obviously without LeBron and Anthony Davis, to overtime. But that would have been a game they would have liked to square away, I'm sure. However, you know they did have you know half their players not playing. There was left to the likes of Arsenio Alves to uh, come out and shoot. I think he shot six three pointers and had 20 points on the night. So, they were going interesting really that
0: deep. they did rest those guys, isn't it? Like, yeah, you... I mean,
1: they... we we touched on it earlier. I mean with the condensed schedule and the way it's been going, you know we. You'd hate to see them get to playing games and, and and get hurt, you know, just because of the, the schedule. So, you know, I think Would they be Sorry on, to cut
0: you off. Would they have been better off resting them against a Houston, with a, who they've got coming up, or even, a, you know, one of those Minnesota games even perhaps? Like the Lakers, they are still been decent despite the fact that Davis and LeBron are out. Obviously, these guys know a lot more. Maybe Gobert was really sore. But when you look at their schedule, you think maybe they could have been better off resting against one of those teams.
1: Yeah, and it was an afternoon game as well. Whether or not or not that had anything to do with it, I'm not sure how that would work for them. Whether it was, um, you know, more obviously not as much time to rest in between games, being the afternoon slot that they just played in. But no, you're right. It would have been a. Good for them, you know, to have that advantage over the Lakers and, and put a game like that away. But, no, they, they held up pretty good with the players they had. So, look, I think the Utah guys, you know, we've spoken about their depth really all year, really rely on a guy like Clarkson to now take over the primary scoring and ball handling. for The Jazz, he did that today um, in the game and, and, you know, shot a big three to, to really get the game into over time. So, yeah, I think they've got enough coverage and you, you mentioned that schedule to to really be able to come away with, you know, if they get Mitchell back in the six games to to keep that buffer in the West. And, you know, fingers crossed they can stay healthy all the way through and and really see what they're capable of. You know, obviously last year not having Bogdanovich um, in the bubble, um, that wasn't their their team as a whole. So, you know, you like to see everyone get a fair and even chance and that's why. As we mentioned earlier, it's so disappointing now with um, with Denver, and you know we do hope the Lakers' stars come back, and we hope even for Memphis that Jaron Jackson Jr. can come back at some point. You just want to see all these teams with every opportunity, and um, yeah, for the for the Utah Jazz's sake, hopefully Mitchell comes back healthy and can lead them all lead them through the playoffs.
0: I think it was last week we mentioned how, probably how lucky they have been with the fact that they hadn't had any sort of major injuries and, you know, a week later they do get this one. So, yeah, it would be disappointing if they do drop down and and not end up finishing in that number one seed, given the fact that they've held onto that position for a good portion of this season, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how these teams sort of jockey for, for the seedings given the fact that the Lakers are obviously that the most da- dangerous opponent in the West and we don't quite know where they're going to finish with, with these injuries, so if they finish fourth or fifth, maybe some teams are trying to jockey out th- of that position so they don't have to meet them in that second round, so it's going to be a really interesting finish I think uh, to the season in the West. Time to talk a bit of positive stuff now, Caddy. Now, we saw during the week Steph Curry pass Wilt Chamberlain to become the Warriors' all-time leading scorer. Now, he's been on an absolute tear of late. Now, we have spoken about Steph Curry a lot of lately, but but we will talk about him again because the, the love for Steph Curry between me and you uh, is in an abundance. So, recently, the last month, he's been averaging just under 40 points a game, 6.4 rebounds, uh, 4.7 assists, uh, shooting 54-48-91 uh, splits from the field, and close to seven three-pointers a game. Uh, he's actually on, on a run at the moment where he's got 10 consecutive uh, 30-point games, which is he's tied Kobe Bryant for the longest streak for a, a player which is 33 years or, of age or older. And also, remarkably this week, he actually hit 10 three-pointers or more three times uh, in a week, which means he's now done that 20 times for his career. When you look at the, the leaderboard for for the rest of the players who have shot uh, 10 three-pointers or more in a game. Clay Thompson second with five. Then there's James Harden with three, Damian Lillard with three, J.R. Smith with three, and Zach Levine with two. So the fact that he's done it 20 times and three times just in this week alone is absolutely incredible uh, when you look at uh, what the other guys have done in the history of the NBA. He's starting to put up some absolutely incredible numbers, isn't he, Caddy, when you look at his career as an absolute whole. He's now a seven-time All-Star. So he's 33 years of age. Let's say God knows how much longer he's going to play for, but let's say he makes another four All-Star appearances. He ends up with uh, being an 11-time All-Star. He's made six All-NBA teams at the moment. We'll give him another two or three there. So let's say he is an 11-time All-Star, a nine- or ten-time All-NBA uh, winner. He's, he's obviously won three titles, he's got the two MVP awards, he's finished uh, top 10 in the MVP another four times. Overall, where do you think Steph Curry's going to fall? If we're just talking point guards in the in the all-time discussion, Magic Johnson's probably considered to be the number one point guard of all time. I can't imagine he's going to catch him, but when you start to look at some of these other guys, Oscar Robinson's considered to be probably the number two point guard of all time. He was a guy that was putting up a lot of triple doubles uh, back in the day. Then you've got guys like John Stockton, who's the all-time leader in assists and steals. You've got Isaiah Thomas, who was the heart and soul of the bad boy Pistons uh, back in the 90s. CP3 has obviously had a fantastic career. Steve Nash is a two-time uh, MVP winner himself. We've got Jason Kidd. If we go home right back, we've got you know the Bob Coozies and the Walt Frazier's. It's hard, obviously, for us to comment on guys like that. All we know is the stuff we've read about them. But at the at the end of the day, Caddy, do you think Steph Curry is going to be able to get into maybe that number two slot of all time when we're talking just pure point guards?
1: Well, I think he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. That's one definitely thing. So, <laughs> we debate debated whether Lamar Yeah, I think we can. Lamarcus, I think we can. I think we
0: can say he's going to get to the Hall of Fame.
1: Pretty yeah, safely. Yeah, I think there won't be any trouble there. Now, look, you've, those numbers you've rattled off and the career achievements are just incredible. Now, the titles are so important when you know when you even just comparing, say, to CP3 or Steve Nash. I mean, the three titles are, all, already sets him apart from that because he does have the MVPs. The scoring numbers are, you know, as you said, are astronomical, and the Three-point shooting is going to go down probably as the greatest shooter of all time, being part of the greatest shooting backcourt of all time. So, yeah, no, I think there's, there'd be every hope that I think we probably thought there may have been a chance we'd, seen that we'd had seen the best of Steph Curry, but what we're seeing now in what he's doing at the moment, this Warriors team is just incredible. And, and the, the real positive thing with it is that some of this scoring has been translating to winning games. They obviously just lost to Boston today by the five points, but they'd won the four previous games. Prior to that, so you know, he's giving them a fair chance here of making not only getting into the play in tournament but, but hopefully, you know, getting into the first round of the playoffs. And uh, you know, as much as we probably don't see them as a contender or anything like that, but you know, who knows what could happen the way the, the seedings could fall, they could get into a series against the Phoenix Suns, an example. And you know, and I'd hate to rule them out of any, any series while Steph Curry is playing like this, so um, and absolutely. Incredible player. He's changed really the way the game has been played and the way young people perceive the game and watch the game and, and now play the game. So it's an incredible resume and I think we're all pretty lucky to have been witness to it. I still remember those early Warriors teams where, you know, you could just feel and sense the shift in, in the way the game was getting played and the three-point shooting was was becoming so important and Curry was at the forefront. It was almost must-watch must, must watch TV every time he stepped out onto the court. Uh, so exciting and, and um, yeah, I think by the end when it's all said and done there's... No reason why he won't be spoken about. You know, in the top,
0: you know, half a dozen of 10, uh, 10 players of all time. I think he is that brilliant. He is, isn't he? And you mentioned there the fact that when those Warriors first started on that run, you, you you could you could just feel the energy in the crowd when Steph started hitting those bombs, and the ball would be in the air, and the crowd would be rising to their feet. It was it was fascinating to watch, and just the way he's playing at the moment is just absolutely incredible. As you mentioned there, we there was some question marks. Had we seen the best of Steph Curry, well, he's obviously put those to bed. Certainly, over over the last uh, you know month or so, basically the whole season, to be honest. But this this scoring tear that he's on at the moment is just absolutely incredible. And some of the shots he's hitting, I don't know if you saw the one today where he drew the foul and threw it up with his left hand about a step inside the three point line. I mean, you look at that and you go, well, that's just luck. But you see some of these shots that he's practicing before the games, and and you start to question. Is that luck, or is that is that something his practice? As ridiculous as that sounds, some of the no, stuff. I think, it, I think
1: it's true. Like you just know, saw what happened with even there was some footage of Luka Doncic during the week doing some crazy maneuvers um, and then shooting from incredible angles. And then sure enough, down you know down the stretch of a really important game, he hits the game winner with two seconds left. You know, off, an off balance, leaning
0: type of shot. That's just incredible, people, wasn't it? Unbelievable.
1: Yeah, and I, I think these guys you know, obviously they have such incredible gifts from a. Ball handling point of view, and and their eye must be so brilliant. But I, I think it'd be um, selling them short to say that it's just they're just getting lucky, and it's. I think they they practice for some of this stuff, and and they continually train towards it, and um, you see it in the games now. It's it's quite incredible.
0: It's it certainly is, and, and and you and you mentioned there the fact that he has changed the way the game's played, and and there's no doubt, and there's not too many players in the history of the game that that could say. I'd change the way the game was played, and Steph Curry is certainly one of those. You see, guys like a Trey Young, who's came into the league over the last couple couple of years, trying to replicate the way that Steph that Steph plays. So he's going to have a really big impact on the guys that are coming right through this next generation of players are going to be impacted by the way Steph Curry has shot the ball, and and there's going to be times where the where the head coaches are scratching their head and and screwing up their nose at some of the shots that they, these players coming through are going to take. But that's purely because of, of Steph Curry and they've seen the shots that he's been able to make. Now, obviously, not many guys in the whole world can make these shots, but I'm sure there's going to be plenty of guys that that are going to be attempting those shots. So you mentioned there that they might be able to sneak their way into not only the, the playing tournament but, but into the playoffs. Is there one team at the top of those standings there? It would probably end up being between Utah, Phoenix or the Clippers, that you could see them maybe upsetting. Do you think for you it is the Phoenix Suns, probably just because they do lack that playoff experience?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think Phoenix is the the outlier there in, in that group. I mean, I can't see now, obviously, Denver with the Murray injury climbing into into that two or three seed where, you know, if Golden State do win their way through, that there'd be a potential to play them. So I think, yes, yeah, if, if the Phoenix matchup somehow – comes whether it be a one versus eight or a two versus seven and a gold, golden state on the other end of it then you know that, that'd be the only matchup i could foresee them you know being competitive in and even then it'd probably be you know uh, they'd be the rank outsiders but you know while there's life there's hope and while there's steph curry god knows what could happen so the way he's playing brave man to back against him
0: you certainly are now the other team that has that has got on a bit of a role of late are the boston celtics they're thirty-one and twenty-six, which now has them up to fourth in the East. And as we've spoken about, you only need to have a bit of a good stretch to to really climb up the standings in the in the East. Uh, after their win today against Golden State, they're, they're ten and three since since the trade since they acquired Evan Fournier. Even though he's missed the last seven games, it it seems to have solidified their rotation a little bit more. Uh, we've seen we've seen Robert Williams replace Daniel Tyce, who was also traded out. And when we spoke about our championship contenders. What was it now? Probably about three or four weeks ago. I had them in the if everything goes right uh, category, and I think you'd just basically wipe them out. Which was fair enough because I was basically only hanging on to the hope that uh, you know Tatum and Brown are obviously very good players, and if they if it all fell their way, that they could be a small chance. Now we've seen, as I said, there Williams replaced Tyus. He's been he's been pretty good, despite the fact that he's uh, undersized for a center. He's a really good athlete. Marcus Smart has is, is now been back into the teams over the last probably 15 or so games and playing that that heart and soul basketball that they really missed while he was out. Kemba Walker. Who has struggled right throughout the year with his shooting, and he's clearly uh, that knee injury has, has definitely slowed him down. He's not quite the player that he was certainly last year, and 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 uh, during his All Star career. Well, he's he's distributing a little bit more, which is probably what they need. They did lack uh, some guys who, who were more than happy to distribute. So it's good to see Kemba walking do it. Kemba Walker doing that, and obviously Tatum and Brown. Uh, we spoke about Tatum last week when he had that 50-point game. We saw Jalen Brown two games ago, I think it was, have 40 points on 17 of 20 from the field. So th- those two wing players there are playing some outstanding ball. They've been really unlucky this year, Boston, so that's why it has been hard to get a real good grip on where they do sit. They've a- they've actually lost the most games to the health and safety protocol protocols at just under 150 at the last time I checked that, and I think that was 20 more than the Orlando Magic who were in second place. So... As I said, they've been very unlucky with these these players missing a lot of games. Uh, Tatum came out during the weekend saying that he's actually have to have, he actually has to have an inhaler before every game, which he's never had to do because he obviously caught uh, COVID nineteen during the season. So, so have you sort of reevaluated Boston a little bit, given the fact that they have have started to string together some good basketball caddy, or do you still think they're on the outside looking in from an East perspective?
1: I like the way that they've re- responded and Tatum in particular. I mean, his play's been outstanding uh, here um, over the last couple of weeks. But, you know, the the six-game winning streak's important. It's, you know, probably put them into that position where we kind of expected them to, to get to was the four. You know, Miami was the other one. We're still kind of waiting to get on a run. And, you know, they're on a, a losing run at the moment, a three-game losing streak. So I think Boston now, if they can kind of at least stick, um, hold fat here of what they've done. You know they really should hang on to the four set at the very least. I still think they're looking in onto those other three sides in the East: the 76ers, the Nets, and the Bucks. I think it really is the big man department that I'm worried about uh, in particular here, particularly if they're playing Philadelphia uh, with Embiid. I just can't see an answer for for him for them, um, and also against Milwaukee with Giannis as well. So I think that's where they're probably going to get unstuck. You know, when you get to that second round of the playoff series. You know, and the Brooklyn Nets are on another planet altogether. But I think it's that big man department. The matchups they're going to have to try and work out to throw against those elite players. You know, when the games get tight into the half court, Robert Williams is going to be the guy that's going to be able to stop Joe Allen beat over seven games. Well, look, I doubt it. And and Tristan Thompson sort of their other their other option there. So I still think they um, just don't have enough this season to to get through those top three sides. Albeit, you know, it's great to see them. You know, at least trying to fulfil their potential here and which it really should be which is a top four side in this decent Conference and you know, you put yourself in the position who knows um I just have my doubts whether they've got enough particularly in the front court there to to challenge those other really talented bigs
0: yeah so when they made that trade uh, to bring in Fournier I did I did say I thought it was a little bit confusing because it did that they did lose ties and the fact that they will have to get through certainly well either Philly or Milwaukee where you need a big guy to be able to to, to go up against Embiid or, or Giannis. So we have seen, and I think it probably has raised their floor a, a little bit, uh, despite the fact that Fournier has, hasn't played a lot since he's been traded there. They, they've got on this this bit of the run. He will give them a scorer coming off the bench, but I, I totally agree with, with what you said there. I, I just can't see for the life of me how they would be able to compete with with those two teams. What about Brooklyn? Do you think the fact that Tatum and Brown are two Very good uh, defenders on the perimeter there. They could take maybe, a let's say, a a Durant and a Harden even. I know that sort of leaves Kyrie off to the side there. But who do you think is a better matchup out of those top three for them? Do you think it would be Brooklyn just because they haven't got that center to be able to go with those bigger bodies of, of Philly and Milwaukee?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's just whether or not they've got the offensive punch to consistently outscore the Brooklyn Nets. Who so, you know we're going to imagine they're going to have no problem putting the ball in the bucket uh, night in, night out. So I think you know defensively the matchups are better with Tatum Brown, Marcus Smart can you know take that Kyrie Irving matchup, and you also got Kemba Walker there as well. But it's just whether or not they can just go toe to toe and match them um, night in, night out against you know what I still think is probably going to be the greatest offensive team we've ever seen. Albeit we just haven't seen them play enough which is really a bit of a shame in itself because um you know the season's going to come and go pretty quickly and and the amount of games that Harden, and Durant and Irving have played altogether is is been pretty limited here so you know hopefully they can all get back on the court together because you know it, it was such an interesting uh, conversation piece when the trade happened as to how it was going to all kind of work and we just haven't seen enough of it to um really evaluate and, and to really see whether or not it's going to be sustainable for them in the playoffs but I think for Boston that'd be the matchup they'd probably have more confidence in, I think, rather than going up against particularly Joe Allen beat and the 76ers.
0: Yeah, I think it is, yeah. It, it's been a big tease, hasn't it, with Brooklyn? We haven't seen that the three of them played together all that much and we're only sort of getting fits and spurts of it. And KD's missed a long period of time. He's been really good since he came back. So hopefully over these last few weeks we do get a, a bit of a clearer picture, exactly how they're going to go together. We'd imagine it's going to be very good, but who knows until we actually see it. So it will be a really interesting uh, finish to, to the season in both the, the West and the East. So we'll call it there. As I do say every week, uh, thank you to everyone who continues to download this. Um, if you haven't jumped on Apple Podcasts yet, please do so and give us a five-star review. And as I mentioned last last week, we do have that Facebook page up and going now. So, so search for in the Key, like like the page there or follow the page there. And, and these episodes get posted on there every week so you, so you can see them uh, when, when we do record them. So we'll talk to everybody next week.